Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the populist messages are popular. The Republican Party is poised to take back uh, the majority in Congress in November. And as I said, many of those candidates are running on very populist. But could they be running down the same failed road as conservatives have been down before? That's the big question. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. Think again. Well, it's a great piece in Politico today talking about the failure of compassionate conservatism, that there are lessons in there. And helping us break all of that down, the author of that piece, Patrick Brown, back on the show. He's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Boyd, great to be back on. Uh, So let's dive into this. Uh, Obviously, the populist messages have actually been pretty effective on both the left and the right. Uh, for the for the right, it often runs directly into something that didn't end up working so well, and that was this idea of compassionate conservatism. Uh, tell us where we are as you, as you look at it uh, rolling into these midterms. Right. Well, as we all know, the Republican Party has gone through somewhat of an evolution over the course of the last five or six years, uh, certainly with President Trump's influence on the party, broke through a lot of those ideological barriers that used to be in place. And so that's opened up the playing field for a lot of ideas about using government to support families, to strengthen communities, also more aggressive action when it comes to trade and immigration and those things like that. So we've seen uh, some politicians run on these very red-throated populist messages. And, And in some ways, it reminds me of previous attempts to try to reshape GOP orthodoxy. And so, as I pointed to in the piece you graciously mentioned, I think there's some lessons to be learned about a a failed attempt to do so in the early 2000s, the idea of compassionate conservatism and where that sort of ran out of energy because it didn't have the intellectual heft to really carry its ideas through to completion. Yeah, so let's let's dig into that just a little bit. Uh, Of course, most people know the, the Republican Party has long been dominated by that financial conservatism, fiscal conservative, small government, supply side economic stuff. Uh, and But there has been this element uh, in, on the social side uh, in terms of, of how do we do that a little different. We've, we've heard a lot of different bills that are you know, supporting families that are getting more into that space, into a lot of the uh, minority communities in particular. Uh, but what is it that actually has to be done uh, so that this isn't just uh, another round of, of talking points, but actually becomes part of the party or part of a policy agenda. Right. Well, to your point, I think you know Republicans in Utah are very familiar with the idea of needing to back up the sort of fiscal small government side of conservatism with a more communitarian approach. And that's something that was really uh, got a hearing uh, from some part, some parts of the party. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, people like Marvin Alaska were writing about compassionate conservatism, and that struck a chord with George W. Bush, who, of course, had had his life changed by 
by faith and by he knew the power of sort of faith-based agencies. And so when people were talking about using the power of the government to strengthen faith-based agencies and, and, and uh, charitable organizations, uh, that, that really had a chance uh, to take off. But unfortunately, uh, because this idea sort of came to prominence without a clear definition and without having a, a, a lot of politicians who had taken the time to work the kinks out of some of these ideas, when push came to shove, they found that their uh, version of compassionate conservatism just became sort of a bumper sticker slapped on things like Medicaid expansion or uh, funding for AIDS in Africa or animal cruelty prevention. None of these things are bad, but they were they were a distortion of the sort of original con- vision of compassionate conservatism, which was f- more focused solely on, on strengthening civil society and fighting poverty. And so my fear is that some of the Republican politicians who are talking in a very populist vein might run into the same problem of, of concept creep if they don't narrow down what they really mean when they talk about strengthening families. So as, as you look at that and you, you look at that kind of agenda, you know, it has to go from principles to policy uh, that, act, that can actually be implemented, passed and, and moved forward. Uh, so what, what are some of those things that you think ought to be part of that a little more targeted, a little more precision version of populism? Right. Well, I think one perfect example it happened coincidentally to, to drop this week. When we talk about strengthening families and making sure we don't penalize families that want us to have a parent stay at home rather than forcing both parents into the workforce, one of the best ways we can do that is by revamping the tax code and specifically the child-related benefits in the tax code. And as your listeners probably know, Senator Romney introduced a, a revamped version of his child benefit plan, uh, this time with co-sponsorship by Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina and Senator Steve Daines of Montana. And that uh, approach consolidates a lot of the different various uh, provisions and uh, deductions and whatnot in the tax code and funnels them into a, a single predictable monthly benefit. And this is the kind of legislative working out of a principle that I think more politicians should be taking their cues from. Obviously, Mitt Romney is no one's idea of a red-throated populist, but there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from him. And the, and the fact that he's being joined now by, by folks like Steve Daines, who's, uh, who's a little bit more on the populist side and certainly has lots of ties to the pro-life community and, and, and the America First side of things, I think is showing that people are recognizing the need to not just talk a big game about supporting families, but back it up. Uh, it's so important. We had uh, Senator Romney on on uh, Tuesday talking about that specific proposal and uh, interesting. Both Utah senators are engaged in that. Senator Lee, of course, has his uh, social capital project as part of the Joint Economic Committee. Uh, again, trying to get to some of those uh, policy things that actually strengthen civil society and move that forward. Are there others out there or there are other proposals out there in terms of policy that uh, you've got your eye on? Well, Senator Lee, my, my former boss, is certainly somebody who's taken this seriously. His work on, the, on expanding the child tax credit with Senator Rubio really laid the groundwork for a lot of the conversations we're having now. I think Senator Rubio is, is somebody who, who takes policy very seriously. He was very engaged in the pandemic uh, response and, and trying to figure out ways to support small businesses in the, in the wake of, of uh, the onset of the pandemic. And I think you're seeing some conservative think tanks that used to be more on the sort of uh, laissez-faire side, now coming to grips with the, the realization that that doesn't necessarily, what's best for the market isn't always what's best for families. And so you're seeing think tanks like the American Enterprise Institute and the new, uh, new outfit American Compass talking about uh, proposals, uh, strengthening families and, and communities and, and, uh, and some of those things that 
maybe would have not been on the table a couple of years ago. But now, as I started the conversation with, with some of those ideological guardrails, um, you know, that, that, are, that aren't, that aren't you know, the, the Wall Street Journal editorial page isn't, isn't necessarily calling the shots anymore. So I think there's, a, there's an openness to considering these things. But again, it can't be on the level of, of uh, 30,000 feet. It has to be engaged in the policymaking process. And I think that's where the rubber needs to hit the road. Yeah. Got to get past the bumper sticker slogans and uh, do the hard work and heavy lifting, which happens in creating legislative text <laughs> that can actually be passed. Uh, Patrick Brown exactly. is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. A great piece in Politico. And uh, we'll post that on our social feeds today. And it is worth a read. Some really important stuff in there. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Boyd. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, some great stuff there from Patrick. One of the things that I loved that he concluded his piece in Politico with said, laying the groundwork for governing isn't as exciting as owning the libs on Twitter, but it will be essential to avoiding the pitfalls of a previous attempt to reorient conservatism, which wasn't fully prepared for its moment and paid the price. And so, again, it's not about just the 30,000-foot view. It's not just talking a good game. You have to get to the policy that's going to impact the people. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.